Bibles to the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. The book of Hebrews in chapter 13. Actually, uh, we're going to start in the last few verses of chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. It says in verse 28, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember them that are in bonds, as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable at all, in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And in this passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 13, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews has been going, has been building a foundation from the very beginning of the book up through chapter 12 that the Hebrew Christians, the believers in Christ, had a better inheritance than what they had before they believed in Christ. How that Christ was better. Christ's kingdom was more sufficient. Christ's kingdom replaced all that had gone before it. How that Jesus Christ was the ultimate revelation of the will of God. The ultimate revelation of God to man. And there was no reason why they should go back to what they had before or look on to something else, but that God had given them all that He had to give them. They had a kingdom which could not be moved. Because of that, they were to serve God acceptably. And that's what chapter 13 begins to talk about, is now that you know that you have this, now that you know that you're serving God, and you know that you have God's final and complete and sufficient revelation that is better than anything that has come before, that is so good that it's worth going through persecution, that is so good that it's worth suffering the loss of all things besides, now that you have that, here's what it looks like To serve God acceptably. The two verses I want to focus on tonight are verse 5 and verse 6. I'll read them again and then we'll pray before we begin the message. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Father, Lord, I come before you this evening, and I pray, Father, you'd give me the ability to preach your word. Father, to say what you would have me to say, Father, Lord, not my own ideas, not, Father, Lord, what I would think, but what you would desire, Father, Lord, help me to communicate clearly. Christ's name I pray, amen. How many of you have ever taken a test? 
Has, 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 has everyone here has at some point in your life faced a test? I think everyone, everyone here, when you were in school, maybe you met, many of you went to college or even graduate school or whatever, you had to take tests. It's part of schooling. And even if, you, if you're out of school, you go to work, many times they give you assessments, they give you tests, they give you, Jason is always coming home and telling me how he's going to take this, this thing and this thing to advance in the banking business, needs to take this test. And in order to take a test, it's always better if you're prepared for that test. I remember when I was in college, I would always try to be prepared for the tests and the quizzes that would come my way. And there would be very many of them in all the different courses that I had. But sometimes I forgot that I had a quiz that day. And I took the test. And sometimes I did all right, even without being prepared. But there was one thing about taking a test that I didn't know I was even going to have that was different from when I took a test that I had prepared for. They, because you see, usually, you know, if it's an important test, they'll tell you what you're supposed to know. And so if they told me what I was supposed to know, and I knew that I knew everything that was on the test... I approached that test with something a little different. The difference was my confidence level. There's a big difference between being confident that you have mastered the material you are going to be tested on and having no idea whether or not you're going to even pass, let alone do well. Confidence is something that everyone wants to have. It doesn't really matter who you are or what you do in life. You're not going to achieve any great measure of success without some degree of confidence in your ability to do so. It's so important, in fact, that people have made millions of dollars doing nothing but training people to be confident about their ability to do their job. Self-help people, motivational speakers, what they are all about is helping you to be confident in sales, confident in design, confident in whatever it is that you do. There's someone that is out there that is willing to take your money to train you to be more confident to do so. But even those that are most confident about their abilities to do their job, even if you take the high-powered salesman who makes all the, the hard sales and he, is, he or she is so confident that I can do this, I can do that, when it comes to the quiet of the night, they still worry about their future. They still, the people that appear that act the most confident are oftentimes the most insecure. They have a gnawing sense of worry, a gnawing lack of confidence about the future, about what other people think about them, about whether they real, their confidence in themselves is really all that justified. People will do almost anything to quench that gnawing sense of worry. It's amazing. Some people find security in expensive clothes. That's what keeps all these stores in business. If people didn't think that, you know, people think, you know, if I just had all my clothes from stores on Fifth Avenue, then people would think better about me. And I could be confident in knowing that any room that I walk into, I'm going to be well-dressed, I'm going to be prepared, and I'm not going to feel embarrassed. Or people try to find security in having an expensive car. People try to find security in their portfolio. I feel sorry for those people. 
People try to find security in their appearance and people will work out so that they feel secure and confident in the way that they appear or they'll go and they'll buy expensive cosmetics and they'll do this and they'll go to this treatment and to that treatment and they'll get surgery and they'll get facelifts and they'll do all of that kind of stuff. Not that all of that is necessarily evil, though some of it probably is, but they'll do all of that kind of stuff and here's why they would do it. Because they are trying to address the insecurity, they are trying to address the inadequacy that they feel, the worry that they feel about the future. They're not confident. They may say that they are confident, they may act confident, but their actions show that what really drives them is worry and insecurity. No matter what you do, if you are trying to satisfy those insecurities and those inadequacies with the things of the world, it will always quicken rather than quench the burning thirst that you feel. The more that you, the more that you get in your effort to gain confidence, the more success that you have, the more possessions that you have, the more you will want. The Bible says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. The things of this world will never bring the satisfaction that they are sought in order to have. Even if, even if such a person that was seeking security in that way had everything that they desire, if every desire was completely fulfilled, those desires would still not bring satisfaction. Stoicism teaches the solution for unsatisfied needs is a cessation of desire. It's a common philosophy in this world today and in the world through the past and even among Christians. It says, you know, the solutions to the problems of this life are to pretend that they're not problems. And it does get really ridiculous, especially if you go back and you read the people who came up with these ideas. If you don't have any food, then choose not to have an appetite. It solves the problem perfectly. If you, if you are a quadriplegic, then decide you don't want to move. Well, then there's nothing to bother you because you don't want to move. You can't move. You don't want to. What's the problem? That's the best that the world can come up with. But it's a pretty sorry substitute for God's solution. What is God's condition of confidence? What is God's plan for security? What is his answer to our modern whirlwind of materialism? What is his answer to the, passivity, passivity, the passiveness of Stoicism? God gives confidence to the content. Do you want to know that the Lord is your helper? Do you want to be unafraid at the prospect of what men can do to you? That is what verse 6 says. It says, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I, if you're looking for confidence, that is confidence. I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord is my helper. That is security right there. I don't need to worry. The Lord is my helper. I have confidence. I don't need to worry about what any man can do to me. I don't need to worry about what anybody can do, anything can do to me. I don't need to worry about the economic conditions. The Lord is my helper. I have no fear. I, I, have, I fear God and therefore I need fear no other. That is a confident attitude. But it begins... With the word, so that. If it begins with the word, so that, verse 6 says, so that we may boldly say. So that means that whatever is in verse 5 is a prerequisite for the blessings that are in verse 6. So if you want to have that confidence, if you want to have that security, 
It means that verse 5 is given to us so that we may know what we need to have that security. Verse 5 says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he that is God hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. What does this mean? Does being without covetousness preclude any effort on our part? Does it mean that we need to be lazy or passive or just take a stoical attitude? No. If we're to understand how to keep our lives free from covetousness, if our conversation, that is, our whole life, our manner of life, it's not, it doesn't just mean when you're talking to your friends, don't talk about covetousness. If we take the meaning of, of conversation as it would have been when the Bible was translated, what it's talking about is your lifestyle. Don't live a covetous lifestyle. Don't let covetousness be a part of your life. Well, if we're going to not have covetousness as a part of our life, then we should be pretty careful to understand what God is talking about when he says, let your conversation be without this. So we need to know what it is. Well, covetousness is a desire for more riches than God is willing to give caused by a disagreement with him over what they are truly worth. Let me, read it, let me read that one more time. Covetousness is a desire for more riches than God is willing to give that is caused by a disagreement with him over what those riches are worth. The Bible repeatedly states covetousness is idolatry. And as we, as, as we continue tonight, we're going to find out why. This is because the covetous person is one who tries to find security in anything other than God. Covetousness is not just a desire to have more than you have right now. Just because you want something more than you have now does not mean that you're covetousness. But covetousness is a desire to have more than God is willing to give you. It's not that you want that is the problem. It's why you want it and what you are willing to do to get it. But how are you supposed to tell a covetous desire apart from a godly one? The answer is really quite simple. If your plans for satisfying your wants allow you to truly put the kingdom of God first, then they're not covetousness. Covetousness, contentment, is not the absence of human effort, but the presence of God's perspective. There is nothing wrong with the desire for more than you have now. There's nothing wrong with the desire to move ahead in your chosen field of business as long as you are content to fulfill that desire in accordance with the opportunities that God gives you. God provides ends as well as means. This is a story my dad often tells, and it's really funny. I'm sure you've all heard it, but it really is apropos. There was a man, and there was the flood that was coming. And the, the flood waters were coming towards his house. And he knew the flood was coming. He prayed for God to deliver him from the flood. His neighbor got in his pickup truck and said, Fred, come on, the flood is coming. I'll take you in my pickup truck. Fred said, I trust in God to deliver me from the flood waters. You poor people who don't trust in God had better get in your pickup trucks. And so Fred sat there on his porch with his Bible, trusting in God. And along came someone on a four-by-four four as the highway was shut down by that point and said, Fred, get off the porch. The waters are right behind me. 
I have just enough gasoline to escape the flood. Fred said, I trust in God. I'm too spiritual to get out of this on a four by four. God will deliver me. And the waters began to come up to the house and they filled the first floor. So Fred walked up to the second floor and he, he sat at the second floor and looked out the window and thought of how wonderful he would feel when God really delivered him. And along came a motorboat. It was full of people. And they said, Fred, is that you? We have room for one more. Fred said, Save it for someone who is less spiritual than me. I'm trusting in God to deliver me. Finally, the waters reached to the ceiling of the second floor, and he went out into his roof. And as he sat there on the roof and contemplated the wonderfulness of God's provision for his deliverance, a helicopter came by, and through the megaphone, they called down to him and said, Will you come up the helicopter? The waters are rising. And of course, Fred gave his typical response. And Fred died that day. Fortunately, this is a made-up story. But it does illustrate a very good point. And that is that, was it wrong for Fred to get a ride in a pickup truck? No. He was no more spiritual for not riding in the pickup truck than if he had ridden in the pickup truck. You see, it was God that sent that pickup truck, and it was God that sent the 4 by 4 It was God that was incredibly patient with his stupidity and sent by the speedboat. It was God that was merciful beyond human imagination and sent the helicopter. Being content doesn't mean sitting in your room at home and expecting for God to give you everything. It means that when you go out to seek to provide for your needs, you do so in accordance with... With God's will. And that doesn't mean that you have to make every decision with fear and trembling and say, Oh, oh, what direction does God want me to go in today? Does God want me to go to work today or not? What does God want me to do? Does God want me to speak to that person over there or to that person over there? Does God want me to go to this restaurant or that restaurant? No, that's not what seeking the will of God looks like. That's no more godly than the most sordid materialism because it's an offense to the character of God. That's not what God is like. God has told us what His will is very clearly. He's given us more of His will than most of us will ever master. And most of us take the time to even read, oftentimes. The contentment that confidence requires is the realization that you will never need to step beyond His Word to have your needs met. Contentment does not preclude effort. Contentment precludes worry. A contented person does not need to step outside of God's plan because he knows that he will never step outside of God's provision. God has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's in verse 5, the second part of it. God is not going to leave you. So if God is not going to leave you and God is sufficient, in the book of Colossians it says that in Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures that we need, that all provision has been made. Everything that pertains unto life and godliness is in Jesus Christ. And so if all that is in Him, then why? And He is never going to leave us. If God is never going to abandon us, then why would we think we need to seek our security elsewhere? 
And how does this seek out and play out in real life? Most of what I've said has been fairly theoretical. It means that while the rest of the world is seeking for the next must-have possession, desperately seeking for some sort of security in this world, the believer can rest content. It doesn't mean that everything the world uses to find security is wrong to have. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have something that is nice or wrong to ever have anything that is valuable. It means they are wrong to trust in. You see, when you stop trusting in God's presence and start trusting in your possessions, you have no right to boldly have a testimony to the world that you have something that is better than what they have. Because that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. What those Hebrew Christians had in Christ was far better than what they could find anywhere else. Far better than anything they had had before. So that even though they were experiencing persecution and would experience more in the future, they still ought to cling to Christ alone. This isn't just about your emotional confidence and your emotional security, though it is a provision for that. It is about having a confident testimony to the world that what you have in Christ is better than what they have without Christ. God is never going to abandon us. So why we will so we'll always be able to see our security in him. Why seek it anywhere else or in anything else? If you have the ability to be confident in God, why in the world would you look for confidence in a fur coat, in a nice car, in a healthy portfolio? There's nothing wrong with those things necessarily. But if you decide that you simply must have them, whether it is God's will or not, then you are voluntarily abandoning the only sure ground of confidence in the universe for the shifting quicksands that the rest of the world is sinking into. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be in a relationship. But if you're seeking to be in a relationship, if you're seeking to be married in, re in order to solve your own insecurities, then you are wanting it for the wrong reasons. If you have to compromise to get it, then it's covetousness that made you seek it. And that applies across the board. There's nothing wrong with a good bank account. But if you have to rob God to get it, then you have traded a bold confidence in the creator of the universe for a rotting barge on a sea of quicksand. Do you want to have a bold confidence and a clear witness? Do you want to lead a life that is free from worry and insecurity? Do you want a remedy for your fears for tomorrow? If you do, don't search the internet for a sure, sure, sure bet stock that is certain to increase your investment potential for the future and give you security for the rest of your life. Don't listen to the TV ads or the internet ads or the friends or the people at work that say this brand of car or that kind of makeup or that style of clothing will make you feel confident in every situation and make everyone else like you and make everyone else take care of you and such as that. That's what the world does and it doesn't work. Realize that God will never leave you and place your confidence in Him. Realize that Whatever you have, whatever God has provided for you, He knows what you need better than you know what you need. How do you know what God wants you to do in the future? God, is, God sometimes brings difficult experiences into our life 
for the sole purpose of showing to the world that we have a faith that is so valuable that we can trust in that even when it makes even when everything else is taken away. Look at the story of Job. It wasn't about Job. It was about God. And the Bible doesn't even... God never answered Job's question. Job's question. But God answered Satan's question with Job. Satan said, Job just trusts in you because you've taken care of him pretty good, God. And God said, all right. Job trusted me because Job loves me. Job trusted me because his relationship with me is more valuable than any of the possessions that I've given him. And see, that's what the Hebrew Christians were going through. In, 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 I believe it's in chapter 10, it says, they had suffered the loss of all things. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. How could you do that? How could you have your prized possessions be taken from you and still have joy? Because those prized possessions weren't where your confidence was. And so if you want to have that kind of confidence that everyone is seeking for, that's how advertising works. If you had our product, you would feel more secure. You'd feel more confident. I mean, look, sometimes analyze what is really being said by a clothing advertisement. If you wore our brand of jeans... Depending on its women's or men's jeans, all the men would love you. All the women would love you. You would be surrounded by people that are attracted to you if you only bought our overpriced clothing. I mean, that's really what advertisements say, isn't it? Right? That's how advertising works. Now, is it wrong to have nice clothing? No. As long as it's modest and appropriate for a Christian to wear in the first place. But if you're seeking your security in that, then what you're saying to the world is that regardless of your profession of faith in Christ, your life is really just as empty as theirs is. This isn't, this isn't just about you. This is about God's testimony to the world. Confidence in witnessing, confidence in the midst of persecution Confidence in the midst of want, in the midst of need, in the midst of apparent lack, requires contentment. Contentment is being satisfied with what God gives you. It's not saying, you know, I don't need anything, you know. It's fine with me if I starve to death. Doesn't bother me. That's pagan philosophy. That's not Christianity. Christianity is realizing, yes, I can have wants, yes, I can have needs, yes, I can seek to fulfill those needs, but when push comes to shove, my first allegiance is to the kingdom of God, and I will always seek the kingdom of God first and my needs second, because my greatest need is to be with God. My greatest source of joy is God, and what God is pleased to give me. And God knows what I need. And God will either give me or provide a way for me to get everything that I need. And if God hasn't provided a way for me to get something that I want in accordance with what he's told me in his word is right, then maybe it's best that I don't have it. But I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to trust in God. 
because he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. And because God is never going to leave me. And because God is never going to forsake me. And I can have a confident witness that what I have in Christ is better than what they have in the world. And it doesn't matter if my neighbor has twice as much stuff as I have. I have something that brings the confidence that all his stuff is a failed effort to achieve. All his religious activity, the religious activity of the world, is nothing but a gigantic and yet failed effort to achieve security about their relationship with God. The immorality of this world that goes on and on and on and on is nothing but an absolutely failed effort to achieve some sort of emotional security. Some sort of sense that somebody wants them. People will do anything for that. But you don't have to do what the world is doing to get that. Because everyone else is seeking to get what you already have. So if you already have what everyone else is seeking to get and not finding, why would you leave what you have to go try to get it in a way that's already a proven failure? doesn't make any sense. But you know, as Christians, we can be deceived. We can be tricked. Because you know... The things that the world has are very alluring. They look really good. Even in my own life, and not that I'm some wonderful example, but I know in my life, and really in the life of everyone that I know, there's going to come a time when it looks like if you, only, if you only had this, or if you only had that, your needs will be met so much better than God is needing them right now. Satan is going to tell you that lie. The world is going to tell you that lie. Your own wicked heart is going to tell you that lie. But let me tell you, it's a lie. The security and the confidence that every human being wants is found only in a relationship with the God of the universe and nothing else will even be a drop in the bucket. Everything else that you seek in an effort to find that security and to find that confidence will only make you more thirsty, not less. It's not like, you know, if you have God's confidence, you've got a gallon full and you've got a cup full over here in the world. So you just got to get a whole bunch more of the world. No, no, it's not like that at all. It's the world makes you more thirsty. And the only source of true contentment is in God. If you're not saved here tonight, if you don't know the God of all the universe, then it doesn't matter what else you find. It will never, ever meet your need. And you are doomed to a life of failure and disappointment, no matter how apparently successful you are. No matter how confident you appear. You will never, ever have the confidence in the future that can only come from knowing the God of the future. God isn't going to change. God isn't going to leave. And he's the only person, he's the only, there's no other thing, there's no other person that is like that. 
And therefore, there's no other person, there's no other being that you can trust your future to. But if you're a believer here today, and if you're discouraged because someone else that you know just got this, or someone else that you know just got that, or you want this and you don't have it, or things aren't adding up, realize that your ultimate needs are already met. And God will provide everything that you need. And you need fear no man if you have a relationship with the God of the universe. And you don't need to be covetousness. Pardon me, you don't need to be covetous. You don't need to seek after the failed efforts of this world because you already have the only true answer to the question they're seeking for an answer for and not finding. How content are you? How content am I? It determines how boldly we can witness. It determines how confident we can be. Because confidence always requires contentment. Father, Lord, I come before you um, this evening, Father. And Lord, I know, Father, that my words in and of themselves, Father, Lord, will not help anyone. No one here needs my ideas. But everyone here needs your word. And I pray, Father, Lord, that your word would be applied to the hearts of everyone here. Father, Lord, that it would make a difference in our lives, not just in the lives of those who heard, but in my life as well, Father, Lord. Pray for the prayer meeting to follow. You would be honored. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'll have a time of prayer here if anyone wants to.